Hey everyone, it's Future Blevins here. Just wanted to give the disclaimer that there's a couple of bad words in this episode, but it's nothing really too bad. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. And welcome to another episode of Around the Payload, a high noon production. I am your host, the Blevins, and we've got a star-studded cast, including some some veterans of Around the Payload, and some newbies, and some throwback webcams from the old uh, Gosu Gamers Weeklies way back in the day. Uh, but let's jump right into this and introduce our hosts for the day. We've got Pesto Enthusiast, who is the founder of Junkertown Journal and a veteran here on Around the Payload. Thank you for coming back. Nice to be here. And we also have the one and only Size Show Overwatch League desk analyst. If you guys don't know, like he's he's out in the Overwatch League. Like, how do you not know who he is? Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It should be good. I mean, most recently, of course, a uh, a, a streaming food with Bren, which is probably even more entertaining than Overwatch League. But I still just sat in the bottom of my stomach. <laughs> we are also joined here by Slasher, esports journalist and Overwatch analyst. Thank you for coming on, sir. I just want to let you know that I don't have my good webcam with me. So this is where the throwback is coming in. And if I sound bad, you know, it's just how it is. It's it's Pesto's fault for sure. And And we're also missing the plant, of course. Yeah, well, it's back there. It's it's back behind it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of dying. It got too big, uh, and now it needs more sunlight. Too big for its own britches. But speaking of too big, we of course are rounded out here by Blazing Bob, host of Watchpoint Radio and OWL Recap. Thank you for coming back, sir. Hey, hey, hey! Thanks for having me back. I'm excited. Always a pleasure. But. For those of you who are first-time listeners here, this show is basically very, very similar to Around the Horn on ESPN, but definitely different enough to not get a cease and desist order from ESPN, or at least for me to ignore it. Uh, We're going to be going around and talking about different topics in Overwatch League. All of our hosts here are going to get a chance to talk about them, and I, as the master of ceremonies, are going to be giving out as well as taking away points. Uh, that mean, oh, so very, very much at the end of the day. Uh, but if you guys hear a sound that sounds kind of like this, it is me giving out points. It's not you missing your uh, quick play game. But without further ado, let's jump right into this. And we're going to talk about the elephant in the room here right off the bat. Let's just let's just talk about it. XQC released from Dallas Fuel. Uh I'm sure that unless you've been living under a literal rock, you know what happened, why it happened, all sorts of controversy and whatnot behind it. Uh, But we're going to talk about what does this mean for the fuel, for the league, for for everything. Pesto, let's start with you. What what does this uh, XQC release mean? Sure. So I think this is actually, I mean, obviously not quite this dramatic, but this is a problem that a lot of people that go into professional entertainment – hit at eventually, which is that there's more to being a professional gamer than just playing the game. You have to look mm-hmm. at the industry, you have to look at the money behind it, and I think that that's where XQC really fell afoul. So, I mean, obviously people want to watch professionals play a game, um, but advertisers want to get their products in front of those viewers, mm-hmm. especially in the case of esports because the teen and 20 male demographic is really hard for them to reach. And so the money that powers us all, the the, the paycheck that these players are drawing, the 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 sponsorship deals that allow the league to function you're you're talking about media rights deals you're talking about sponsorships you're talking about advertisement and um professional gamers don't have to be role models but they do have to realize that they're part of this industry and that there are behavioral expectations and those behavioral expectations around the cardinal rule of the entertainment industry don't scare away the advertising and I mean, XUC built his brand around a manic personality mm-hmm. and has only moved more towards that because that's what his stream likes. And you can't be a professional player if you don't have... Right. There's definitely a difference between being an entertainer uh, 
uh, that is self-employed and employed by yourself and someone who's representing an organization in a league. But Sideshow, uh, obviously you uh, were, were dealing with this, uh, at least in some, in some capacity, uh, head on uh, as an Overwatch League desk analyst. So what are your thoughts here on XQC? I think the the first thing to tackle it, I'll, I'll give I'll give my point of view, which is that XQC was a, a great tank player as well, and it's disappointing mm-hmm. that he's now outside of the league because he was um, that was something that Dallas Fuel were missing. Now they've got OGE coming mm-hmm. in, but I think the the wider point here is kind of interesting because it's it's a brand new league, right? And mm-hmm. it's the first time that they've had to really deal with stuff like this and setting precedents for people who are going against their rules or certain like how do you find them how do you suspend them what's the process going forwards i think it's really interesting as well when you look at the report that came out today that said that uh, morte one of the previous overwatch players now a coach is uh, planning to start a uh, a players association as well mm. according to the sports business journal and so it, it seems that with the professionalization of the overwatch league and the uh, limitations that that's going to put on the players, it's going to start a dialogue back and forth between uh, a potential players union or just mm-hmm. the players themselves when they uh, converse with the league and start some dialogue about, like, was was this the, the correct level of punishment? Are, are they going to uh, carry on with this going forwards? Like, mm-hmm. well, I think it'll start to set things more in stone. Yeah, there's definitely been talks of the players, uh, a of a players association and the need for it since before the league even started. But Slash, I want to get your thoughts here on on this whole situation with with XQC, the Dallas Field League, etc. Yeah, well, I mean, I even told XQC a day before he was released that there was a good possibility he was going to be released, and that eventually did happen. And he kind of understood that that was a very strong possibility. That so he wasn't so surprised. Uh, after it was announced that was going to happen. You know, there's there's a lot going on here. Uh, One, Morte has been working on this Players Association for at least a year and a half and hasn't been able to get it off the ground. So even though it is going to be coming in the future, it had no barring on what happened here. Mm -hmm. And XQC had no representation beyond his agent Mm-hmm. in anything that happened with Blizzard. And from talking to both XQC and his agent, neither have any official comment on the matter about the situation that happened. Mm-hmm. But he had at least a one-year contract with the Dallas Fuel, and he was released early, and we still do not have details on how exactly that process happened because mm-hmm. the Fuel were able to legally release him from the team. So something must be in the contract that says that if you get a certain number of infractions or depending on how the severity of the infractions are, Mm -hmm. the team is able to release a player. And right now there is no players association to fight for the players. There are only individual agents up against one multi-million dollar teams that are Mm -hmm. working directly with Blizzard, who not only controls the game, but controls the league. So the players Mm -hmm. have not a lot of leverage in this situation to take advantage of. So yes, was XQC extremely immature throughout this entire process? Yes, of course. But he went into a situation where you're dealing with a very nuanced area of Mm -hmm. emotes and trying to type in chat. And honestly, I think he kind of got screwed here, considering the details that we have and the fact that players don't have proper representation. I think he got the short end of the stick. Yeah, there's definitely it is certainly not a black and white situation uh, between right and wrong and 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 whatnot uh, for sure. And I think uh, if 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 nothing else, that some good can potentially come of this uh, eventually. But Bob, last words here uh, as a resident Dallas Fuel fan, how are you feeling here, uh, and and what do you think about this whole situation? Well, I think it's. I mean, everybody hit on it. They're, they are setting a precedent, but I don't know if the league is setting a precedent since since Dallas Fuel was the ones that actually re, released XQC. So mm-hmm. the league did did find him, and they did sus, sus, suspend him, but they didn't actually kick him out. So I don't know. This is more of a precedent that you see um, Dallas Fuel uh, Dallas fuel setting and mm-hmm. not really the league. I don't like, I don't see his release as anything that the league has actually done. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely interesting. I think this is probably just the first of many steps that are going to be taken in this entire, uh, in this entire area, but let's move on here and talk a little bit about the Los Angeles gladiators, uh, stage one performance, pretty lackluster. And even the, the, the beginning of the stage has been, sort of all right. And then uh, the acquisition of Fissure has really kind of 
jump-started this team. They got a win 4-0 versus the Valiant, as well as uh, arguably upsetting the London Spitfire this week, 3-1. So, Sideshow, here's the question. Are, is de- is uh, LA, are LA Gladiators a real team now? Yeah, I think they are a real team now. I think there are a, few, a couple of caveats to this as well, though, is that, yes, the acquisition of Fisher was uh, a big upgrade. It's also the biggest single upgrade that we've seen across the entirety of the Overwatch League. So they got a very... I don't want to say lucky because they obviously mm-hmm. picked up the guy and he was available <laughs> at the time. It was like right right time, right opportunity. But mm-hmm. they have, it must be said that that was a massive individual upgrade. And also when you look at their game against the Spitfire, you've got to say that they were fielding like this B team that probably mm-hmm. doesn't get as much scrim time as they normally do, even though it's the former like GC Busan. Mm-hmm. They aren't using that as their A team. They aren't prioritizing scrim time on that team. They're using profit and gesture in their other mm-hmm. team as well. So it, it's... It wasn't a full intensity Spitfire that they were taking on. I think they they took their foot off the gas pedal a bit. And should they meet them again, I would expect Spitfire to have a bit more respect for them. <laughs> for sure, Slasher. What are your thoughts here? Can we can we expect maybe a playoff berth here from the LA Gladiators? I think that's definitely a possibility. I mean, this team was always really good. They had Surefor, they had Asher, but they had problems in the tank and off tank area. I mean, I just reported that they were going to be getting Void onto their team, and that is going to be an upgrade in their off tank. And they're only going to get better through the season. He probably won't be starting until stage three, so I don't know if it'll be so much um, at the end of stage two. But this team certainly has a chance. But don't get me wrong. They still have two of their wins against Shanghai and Shock, who are not very good teams. <laughs> yeah. And them rolling over those two teams are you know, not so indicative of what happened. They also lost against Fuel. So one of the losses that they have <laughs> are against one of the worst teams in the league right now. So they still have problems but being able to get fissure and we've all seen how important the main tank role is in overwatch league it may very well be the most important role of any um on any role of a team so then being able to get such a good player him having a chip on his shoulder of getting sold from spitfire mm-hmm. to come here he really wanted to beat that team even though they were playing the b team as sideshow mentioned i think that was a big part of their success so far yeah, for sure. Definitely going to fuel yourself to beat the team that just got rid of you. Uh, but Bob, what, what are your thoughts here? Obviously, your your fuel have beaten the Gladiators before, but they seem to be almost a, an entirely different team. What are your thoughts on the Gladiators here? They're looking really good, and uh, they have a third DPS that's really coming up. Hydration. They're, they had good tanks. They had good heals. They get a good main uh, main tank in 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 Fisher, and all of a sudden, yeah, they're good. Uh, do I think they're going to do a playoff berth for the stage two finals? I I don't know. Like you know, it's been pointed out they I, they haven't played really strong teams mm-hmm. yet, but they kind of remind me of what Boston um, did in this like right around this time in in stage one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, Valiant is certainly uh, a decent team to say the least, and even even the B team of London Spitfire is still probably in the top half of Overwatch League teams. But uh, Pesto, last words here on the LA Gladiators. What are your thoughts? So I'm going to go against everyone else and say that I'm not. Um, Fissure is definitely a welcome boost, but I don't think the team has enough other threats. Mm-hmm. I think that the teams in the league that have the best coaching are going to build around trying to neutralize Fissure, and I don't think. Um, right now that Gladiators really has the tools to punish teams that do that. I mm-hmm. think that I, I'm still not convinced about their DPS core. I think that um, Shurfor is, he was a beast when the game was young, but he's been surpassed by a lot of other players, and flexibility means a lot less than it used to. I think mm-hmm. Asher is one of the less consistent and in terms of skill ceiling, not one of the best tracers in the league. And I think hydration is very solid, but he's not a lock in the roster at all times. Mm-hmm. So I think they have a, a lot of solid pieces and one spectacular piece is going to win you some games. But I think they're not a lock for the top six at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And even if they do sneak into the playoffs, I don't think they're going to make a deep run. Mm-hmm. So solid team, but not not going to be... I think they're going to drop off a little bit as the rest of the stage goes on and right. probably into the year definitely a better team than we've seen uh no one i think can argue that but let's move on and talk about uh coaching here in overwatch league this has been kind of been talked about a lot since before overwatch league even started um we've drawn comparisons to professional uh uh, traditional sports rather and uh 
sort of the differences that a coach uh, has between esports and professional sports where if a team's doing bad, all eyes uh, are on the coach and it doesn't seem to really necessarily being that way uh, so far in Overwatch League. Um, so Slasher, I'll start with you. How, how much responsibility should a coach take here for both the successes and the failures uh, of a team in Overwatch League? You know, I'm going to say quite a lot, especially considering how so far through the entirety of competitive Overwatch, whoever had the better players for that meta always seems to win the league, whether it was Apex or E-League or DreamHack. And now in Overwatch League, if you have the players that are the best heroes in that position, and that is, that is the meta at that time, you are most likely going to win. So because you have the players to put themselves in a good position, it is the coach's job to make sure those players are playing the heroes they need to play, mm -hmm. on the maps they need to play, and to be able to counter the other team that you're playing against. And I've seen, you know, most recently, I've been quite hard on Kai Kai. I know that there's been a lot of defending them, that how they're still trying to get things together, and it's more on the players. But for their loss recently against the Mayhem, for Mayhem to come back and win mm -hmm. three straight maps, that is on Kai Kai's responsibility and mm -hmm. fault that Fuel lost that series. Bad decision-making in terms of the players that were chosen for each of the maps. And then because of that, the heroes that they chose were really not in line with I think they should have gone to to win. And those are that's an example of how it can go bad. And I think on the other side, you see Seoul and New York, who have coaches that have been with those players for mm -hmm. quite a long time and that have meshed quite well and are able to lead those teams into consistent victories. Yeah, definitely a lot of good points there. Uh, and uh, definitely uh, a difference in coaching style uh, and team for sure. But Bob, what are your thoughts here on coaches and, and how much responsibility they should have? Well, I think in a perfect world, they should have all of it. Uh, they, the players don't need to be answering questions of why certain people were played, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. That should fall on the coaches. But at the same time, I don't know how much, how much you know, power each coach has like, like, and what their actual responsibilities are and mm -hmm. who actually made the calls. And did the players change the the um, calls mid match? Uh, you know, like I don't know what all is entailed in other sports. I mean, you have some players that call that call shots, but most of them don't. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your team captains, but it's just kind of interesting. And I would say they should just take it. It, like whether it's their it's their fault or not that's kind of their role yeah and it it, it seems like uh regardless that they should just they should just take it but it's a stylistic change uh or choice rather uh pesto what, what are you thinking here uh with coaches yeah i i absolutely agree with bob i mean publicly the coaches need to take all the responsibility that they can get away with and that's part of their job because you take the public lane, you take the focus of the public ire, and you do that because you're taking the pressure off of the players mm -hmm. so that they don't have to deal with that stress, so that all they need to focus about is playing. I think that since since we're really talking about Kai Kai here, even though there have been other coaches that have already been sacked, even though there's already uh, questions about other coaches, since we're really talking about Kai Kai, I think, yes, he's taking a lot of the blame, but I think he also needs to say to his players, listen, going out and tweeting about how sorry you are I mean, yes, you should be trying to connect with your fans. You should be building your own personal brand. But sacrificing yourselves so that your fans are happy, it's not helping your mentality. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, obviously Slasher and Sideshow are going to know more about the inner workings of teams than I do because they talk to the players more. I don't, I'm not going to try to say I understand what's going on in the locker rooms. There might be things that I don't know about. But ultimately, the buck stops with the GM or if there's not a GM with the owner. It's up to the GM or the owner to decide is the coach doing a good job? They're going to know more about it than I do. And if the if the coach still has the GM or the owner's confidence, I don't think it's really the fans' place to be uh, pitchforks and torching pitchforks and torches at the coaches. Right. Well, the one thing that we talked about on High Noon Podcast yesterday is that the GM or owner is not going to fire themselves. Uh, but that's, a, I guess, another <laughs> conversation to have. But Sideshow, last words here on coaching and Overwatch League and maybe some of the differences between sports. 
Well, just to take it from the GM point just then, a lot of the GMs don't know the game as well as the coaches mm. or the players as well. So it's difficult for them to assess in a lot of these situations whether the coach is doing a good job, I think. And when you looked at the LA Valiant, who recently got rid of uh, Cuddles, mm. and they produced some video recently that was like, well, we, it was actually incredibly transparent. And they were like, we thought that a lot of our issues with how the team was working was based around the coach. When we got rid of him, we were like, oh, shit, it actually wasn't him. So they, <laughs> I think that it's fine that the coaches should take responsibility. And when we're talking about in-game decisions of who you want to field, what strategies you're going to run, this is down to the coaching staff. This should not be down to the players. Mm -hmm. But because there's so little transparency in general about the responsibilities of the coaches um, and for certain coaches they don't have as much power as they should do because either it hasn't been handed to them from uh the top management or the players they don't have enough coaches so for example mm -hmm. that like the florida mayhem like mineral for example was just trying to do that all on his own when he's more of an analyst rather than a coach mm -hmm. Like you can't say that it's equal all round and like there's an equal responsibility that is almost 100 percent on all of the coaches mm -hmm. uh, we just don't have enough information at the moment or transparency from the from each team to be able to make those decisions from the outside but internally I agree that it is on the coaches. If you wanted to structure something as, as well as possible, you would have a hierarchical system where you had, for example, four top coaches like Saul do, like Spitfire. Mm -hmm. Although for Spitfire, we thought that was kind of Bishop <laughs> running a lot of the decisions as the head coach, then yeah. he leaves and they still do the same thing. So who knows what's going on for a lot of these teams. Yeah, it'll. It's just another interesting wrinkle uh, in the the whole arc, uh, landscape of the Overwatch League. But we will move on. Uh, that does bring us to the end of the first round. Uh, real quick recap of the scores: We've got Bob uh, with fourteen points. We've got Pastel with fifteen, Slasher with sixteen, and Sideshow just a little bit ahead with seventeen. But as I always say, it's anyone's game. As we go into round number two. Round two. Capture the objective. So let's shift focus back to Dallas. Uh, and I wanted to start with you here, Bob, because I know this one's got a, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm just interested on, as to what you think on this. Uh, but with XQC leaving and, and some rumors uh, and some signings from uh, uh, Dallas, uh, does Dallas need to clean house and just get rid of the envious lineup that hasn't, hasn't worked uh, thus far in Overwatch League? No. No, I mean we got. It's un. It's un. It's unfortunate what happened with XQC because they practiced with him. He was going to be the main tank. He, you know, as you know, Slasher pointed out earlier, like that's a very important po po position that mm -hmm. they've had Taimu playing. Like it's just, it's it's not. That was a big problem. OG coming in, I don't know much about him. I'm hoping that he is a really good main tank. Wish we could have got Fisher, but I don't think they need to clean house mm -hmm. at all. I mean, they need to give Rascal a little more uh, practice on Genji and AKM's a beast. They probably need to help uh, e, e like e, e effect with a little anger management, maybe or uh, <laughs> tilt management, but. Yeah. I think they have a good base. They have, you know, they have, they have Harry Hook. Like, I mean, Esta, Zen. I mean, they've got a good core. They just need mm -hmm. a couple, a couple pieces, and maybe a change of coaching. That yeah. might, that might be the thing. Yeah, uh, but uh, Pesto thoughts here. Should should Dallas stay the course and make minor improvements, or should they just wipe it clean, nuke the team, and 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 start something anew? I think they have a lot of problems, but let's be brutally honest. Envious was not a world-class team leading into Overwatch League. They were great in the tank meta. Uh, it fit their style very well. They had the right pieces at the right time, but their performance in Apex in Season 2 and Season 3 was not top of the world. Mm -hmm. um, when they came back to North America, I mean, they, they were the best team, but that's not really saying much. Every other team in the league, either with the exception of Mayhem, Every other team in the league either added a bunch of great players or built from scratch around a bunch of great players. And I don't th I mean, XQC, very good player, got suspended. Um, Seagull, not top of the world. I mean, how many mm. players on top fuel would you say are top five in the world in their position? Can you say that about effect anymore? Can you say that about chips anymore? I mean, I don't, ex we all expected them to do very well because of inertia. 
because they did very well before. But when you look at this roster, I think you have the building blocks, but I think you definitely need another, um, you need a, you need a main tank. Um, you probably need another off tank. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to give time for ACAM and Rascal and for them to figure it all out. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's somewhere in between blow it up and start all over and everything is fine. I think they definitely need new pieces, <laughs> but it's, I think, I think, and I'm guilty of this too. I think that we put the weight of them, realistic expectations on them and going into the league. Sure. Yeah. They definitely. Definitely put a lot of expectations on them, but I don't know too many people who are saying that this is fine for Dallas Fuel Everything right now. Everything is not fine. No, <laughs> yeah. it's fine in the situation about this team. No, no, I never did. Is, I never said it fine i just said it's somewhere in between oh yes it's somewhere between zero and a hundred for sure which I, is, I agree which with is you. very different from saying it's a hundred it's it's marginally different but uh i guess that's another conversation i don't i don't know pesto that's that seems a little it's 50 see, or 60. i, it's I gotta take i gotta take a point away for that at least but <laughs> sideshow uh what are your thoughts here should they blow uh dallas fuel up in terms of the team or or should they stay the course I don't think they need to utterly clean. If by clean house, you mean just start afresh with a whole new core. Like, I need to clean house. They don't need to clean house, <laughs> right? What they need is a little bit of spring clean, and then they need to smack some people with the feather duster afterwards as well. So I think that the for starters, the, the main tank position is is like been awful for Envious for a while, actually. It was like a big flaw for, the, for, for them when they were playing in Apex. If you're, if you're aiming to be one of the best teams in the world, which they were, they were like top five in the world when they were coming into the Overwatch League. And so when they had, uh, uh, like when they were bringing XQC in, okay, that's an experiment that went wrong. Now they're relying on OGE. Okay, we'll see where that goes as well. But the problem for me as well is that they don't have anybody to fill in the, the off-tank position where mm -hmm. Mickey's look lackluster. And they also are still stuck in this position where they can't play a range of compositions based on their... Uh, their DPS because they're now relying more heavily on AKM in a lot of these compositions and effect plays a very solo style. So, mm -hmm. okay, now now that XQC is banned and you don't have to deal with that or or is uh, what do you call it? Yeah, he's uh, released. He's not. Yeah, he's not technically banned. He's, he's not released. Yeah. But uh, now that he's out of the team, you don't have any of these excuses about okay, the the team was all over the place. We didn't know who to structure the team around. XUCs in and out all over the place right now now it's back to basics again now you've got a team that you can work with OGEs coming in mm -hmm. when they get their pieces finally here this is when you can start saying uh is it working or not the problem for them is that's by that time that's past the mid-season signing period so mm -hmm. they they have one last chance to to really get things back together I think can I just say though it all doesn't matter if OGE winds up being discovered as a booster and gets banned because Inven is already making that accusation. And if they wind uh, up with two main tanks, shush, band, I think they up a bridge. Yeah, the, <laughs> it, I'm, I'm just going to say for the purposes of this show, because I don't want it to be four hours long, we're not going to go into that. Uh, but Slasher, you've already said everything is not fine. How far does Dallas need to go here? I mean, along with sources telling me the XQC was going to be released, the same sources say that it's very possible Taimu and Coco are going to be released. And to be honest, they probably should. Coco has not played at all since all of this has happened. And they put Taimu in main tank over Coco. So if you're going to do that to begin with, then just get rid of Coco. You already have Taimu creating the same type of problems that XQC has in terms of public perception, mm -hmm. internal problems, and he's not even playing DPS, which is what you brought him <laughs> on the team to do to begin with. So if you're not putting him on DPS and you're making him play main tank, there's no reason to have either of these two players. And if you're going to do that by then, well, then why don't you just blow it up? I mean, the other players on the team aren't happy to begin with. Chipsogen wasn't happy because he wasn't getting playing time. Siegel currently isn't happy because he's not getting playing time. He's forced to play D.Va as a backup to Mickey. And who knows how long that's going to take him to get at to that level that Mickey is at, considering that's one of his best heroes, one of the big reasons they were winning those Apex championships. I don't see that really happening. And Custa is kind of just like left out in the wind, considering that you have Harry Hook uh, wanting to play all the time, and you have mm -hmm. Chipsogen also upset for playing time. So the entire roster at this point 
really needs a lot of work. For me, I would get rid of Taimu, I would get rid of Coco, and I would consider continuing to get rid of maybe one or two more players and continue to pick up free agents. OGE is not getting until the third stage. He may not be able to play anyway. <laughs> if this team wants any chance of getting into the playoffs and not being a complete joke from coming into the season as one of the favorites turning into the team they are now, they need to make drastic changes, and I personally think that Kai Kai needs to be in the discussion in terms of changing this coaching staff. I know he's been with that team for a while, but if you're changing the players and he's not going to have that same connection to them if they're gone anyway, maybe you change the coach too. Mm. Yeah, so uh, the full swath of answers here. Blow it up to uh, maybe maybe it's not not so bad, but we'll move on, and uh, I, I promise everyone that this whole episode is not going to be about Dallas Fuel, uh, maybe next week. Uh, but we do have a different match to talk about here, uh, two teams that are doing quite well uh, in the season and in this stage. Uh, possibly a match of the week here, New York Excelsior versus Seoul Dynasty. Pesto, we'll start with you. Who do you have here? I'm going to continue my streak of being wishy-washy. Um, although, I, actually, you know what? I'm going to go with Seoul. Um, Seoul hasn't lost yet. I don't see any indications that they're going to. Um, I don't see any reason to, to doubt them now. Yes, they have dropped maps in every match they have played except for Valiant. So that is San Fran, Fuel, Gladiators, Shanghai, and Philly. Um, yeah, Sh- Shanghai. I, let's not forget that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although... In- Shanghai has taken maps off of player of of teams unexpectedly for a while. Yeah. Um. But I mean, London or sorry, New York hasn't been invincible either. They lost to London. They dropped maps to Philly and mm-hmm. to Mayhem, which at the time was not the Mayhem that beat Fuel. Um. I think the big the big difference is Sabiobi is now more of a focusing tracers. Uh, sorry, mo- for more focusing ports than focusing tracers. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't go back to doing that, I mean, tracer is a point of weakness for Seoul, whereas their supports are not. So I think that the strategy New York has been showing lately doesn't match up against Seoul well. And I also think that the maps are, or not the maps, but the, the rest of the matches in the week, sort of a wash. Mm-hmm. New York is playing Shanghai the next day, which is really easy, but London is the match that, that um, wait, yeah, Seoul, Seoul has to prep for London, right. and but they have two full days, and the map pool is pretty close. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think either team is going to be doing weird things because of the rest of their opponents. So Seoul, but narrowly. Gotcha. Sideshow, you're going to have to make this call on the air later, but uh, who, who do you have here, New York or Seoul? I think that actually Seoul might be the better team, but I'm still going to go with New York for this one because Seoul have to split their preparation time between the two other best teams in the league, New York and then London. I don't think the two days is enough just to be like, okay, we'll all focus on New York and then we'll just have two days to kind of try and figure out what London's doing. Mm-hmm. I think that New York as well have had fantastic success working around uh, Sabio being more aggressive and opening up their back line because uh, Jonak and Ark are so good at being able to protect themselves, running a lot of... Uh, Anna Zen or Mercy Zen Mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit of Lucio Zen as well. Um, But even if they go back to having Sabio be in a more passive position, that's going to play pretty well into Seoul, I think. Um, All across these maps, dive comps are pretty good. Uh, They're going towards Hollywood and Gibraltar for the final two maps. Um, Seoul should be performing uh, at a great level there. They have started becoming a more aggressive team. Munchkin is finding his position. Fledder can go wild on these maps, but they're going to be trying to focus down Ark and Jonak. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of small adjustments from NYXL, pull a Sabiobi further back, have Mecco focus more on peeling, mm-hmm. and they'll end up outplaying them strategically. Mm. Definitely a lot of good points there. Slasher, who, who do you have here, NY or Seoul? Uh, I'm really liking New York in this matchup, not just because I'm from New York, because I'm definitely not a fanboy uh, <laughs> of, of that team. I mean, they have some very good advantageous maps in this series, including Gibraltar, um, and Hanamar. I mean, really, the entire map pool, for me, favors New York. They like playing Widow mm-hmm. on Pine, which he could do pretty much on offensive through all of the maps and on defense, maybe on two of them, including Gibraltar. They like running this Mercy Zen, Anna Zen setups on defense, which they can pretty much do on all these maps, too. So the, mm-hmm. even though Seoul has looked better so far in this stage, I think these are the perfect maps for New York to play against this team in the style they want to, with dive mm-hmm. comps, with Widow, with, with a lot of hit scan, with Anna Zen, Mercy Zen defenses. And I think they'll be able to get the better, better of Seoul winning three to one. Mm. Definitely, definitely a call that I can uh, attest to uh, liking here. But uh, Bob, last word here: Seoul versus New York. Who do you have? 
I have NYXL, and for the same reasons everybody pointed out, but I'll say the three top reasons are Jonak, Libero, and Sabiopi, and in that order. Yeah, uh, it's really tough to uh, bet against any of those three players, let alone all three of them on the same roster. But let's move on to the last question here in round number two. Uh, Houston started out uh, uh, a little bit rough at the beginning of stage one. Then they came back. They had a, a number of really great weeks. They kind of almost, they rode the four overwatch sort of train uh, into a, a heartbreaker at the end of the stage one. And then started doing well, but now they're kind of on almost a downturn here, uh, losing uh, some some key matches that perhaps uh, many would have thought that they'd won. So, uh, Sideshow, I'll start with you here. It, is is Houston in panic mode here, or, or are they still are they still all right? I think Houston are in panic mode. Uh, I don't think they necessarily need to be in panic mode, but I think they definitely are. I think the mm-hmm. mentality portion of it is definitely playing into into it because when when you start losing after having won for so long and you're feeling really confident and then you don't change that much, but now you're just getting kind of battered by teams. Mm-hmm. This is where you start to lose confidence in your playstyle and and switch things up and put people in uncomfortable situations. So something that's been really evident to me has been the way that Moomer and whoever their tracer is, it's normally Jake for a lot of these maps. Um, have been playing so at the start mm-hmm. of stage two uh, obviously jake was kind of new to the role because he'd been playing so much junk crap before in the previous one like great style worked superbly they go into stage two and teams are still trying to figure out the new meta and figure out how other teams are playing so you can't really counter strat teams that well and Moomin and jake are playing like kind of on their own they're uh, counter diving so they wait for the other team to initiate mm-hmm. then they jump into their back lines and jake doesn't need the best aim there because he's just following up on Moomin's damage or damage from the rest of their team and mm-hmm. going in at the right times and killing people and now people have realized that if you put more pressure on Moomer and Jake, rather than just going balls deep on the rest of their team, you get like ridiculous value out of that mm-hmm. because they can't hold themselves up in the trace of 1v1s. It's not so much that they just straight up die every time. That doesn't happen, but they do get pressured out of situations or have to run around and like farm health packs all over the place. And Moomer takes too much damage. So I think their style at the moment has been kind of ruined. And because they don't have that crazy tracer that can just adapt and play whatever style mm-hmm. because they don't have the mechanics then they're in a bit of a rut right now and trying to figure out where best to go from here mm-hmm. a rut uh to say the least but slasher do you think it, it's full-blown panic mode for houston or is it is it like sideshow said just a little bit of a rut uh, they are getting close. I mean, I think a statistic that was on the Watchpoint show had Clockwork and Jake as both the lowest damage dealers of all DPS players in the league. Mm. And Tracer really is the most important hero for me, and it continued to have been in Overwatch. It, it's still, you know, beside, now that Mercy is nerfed, I think you have Tracer and Zen fighting off against who the best hero is. Mm. And Tracer has continued to be a perma pick in every single comp on every single map. No matter <laughs> what is run, you will see a Tracer more than likely. So if Tracer is going to have such a big impact mm-hmm. and you have your two players and the lowest in the league, you are going to have problems. They've shown they do not want to play Mendo, which I think, you know, is probably fair from them because we haven't seen Mendo play in the official tournament for quite a long time, but he always had a really good tracer. Yeah. So maybe maybe you should actually just try and bring it out now. I have heard sources tell me that Houston might be picking up a player quite soon, but from what I know about this player, it is not going to be helping their tracer problems. It mm-hmm. might be helping their DPS issues, but not this specifically. And I really do think this is a key thing they have to look into they have some hard games coming up soon and mm-hmm. i think you know some of the distractions that have hit other teams are going to be coming to that team so i think they have some problems there yeah interesting interesting uh bob what do you think is is houston uh getting to the dallas fuel mode where they might be panicking uh, a ton here heck no they are they are they are still number five overall mm. uh that like yeah tracers um, needed now they don't have one that everybody knows that, but Blizzard tries to shake it up constantly. We got this new character, Brigitte, that's coming in that's supposedly going to stop Tracers. <laughs> Trash. So I've never heard it, it called Brigitte. <laughs> uh, Brigitte, Brigitte, or, as Ride says it in <laughs> game, Brigitte. So I don't know how to say it, but when when Baguette comes in, <laughs> she she will change things quite a bit. And who is a person that can really figure out how to get the most out of characters? 
At least we saw Jake get it out of uh, junk before anybody knew that he was that powerful. So I say Jake's in for the long haul. He's extremely smart. And, yeah, they should probably look into picking up a Tracer, but I don't think they should be that worried. Just ask him to prom already. Just do it. <laughs> uh, but, Pesto, your last words uh, here for you. Is Houston in panic mode? Panic mode? No. I'd say they're worried, but they also realize that they have time to recover. Remember, this is a team that completely flopped out the gate. They looked terrible in the preseason. They lost their two first matches in season one, in stage one, mm-hmm. and then wound up being in the playoffs. They've shown the ability to adapt. I think that they definitely have tracers as, as a point of weakness. Um, they are, I think, what? They're, they're seventh in the standings right now, which means that they're behind all of the other teams that you would feel are safe and above all the other teams that you would think are in trouble. Mm-hmm. So if they can beat Gladiators this week, then that would be a really good sign. But it's doable. It's not a guarantee. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I, they're going to beat Shock, I think. They're going to lose to, to Seoul. If they beat Gladiators, they're 6-4, and four, which is respectable. Um, I think that they're going to need to take some time in, in between stages 2 and 3 mm-hmm. and really figure out how they're going to solve the issue. I think part of the reason why Jake has been immovable in that lineup is because he is part of their shot calling system. Um, he's part of their their brain trust, and that sort of crimps your style if you can't remove him and he's not carrying on the position you need him to. But I don't know. And finally, I'm going to throw a little bit of wrinkle out. Um, I think that speaking of San Francisco, I think that they're going to have way more tracer players than they need. Mm-hmm. And maybe you pick up Dante if, if you can convince Dante that he's not going to get much playing time. Or maybe maybe you pick up another Tracer um, just so that you have depth. And even if you're going to play Sla- or sorry, even if you're going to play um, Jake a lot of the time, having other Tracers to learn from not the worst thing. So I think I think small adjustments. I think they're worried, but I think that they have time to adjust. They don't need to go into panic mode. Interesting, interesting. Well, I think this week will definitely be indicative, and maybe we'll be having this conversation uh, uh, in a little more urgency next week, or maybe it'll it'll all blow over. But we will wait until then. That will bring us into round number three, or bring us to the end of round two, rather. Uh, real quick recap of the scores. We've got Blazing Bob uh, holding out the rear here, 33 points. We've got Slasher with 36 points, Pesto with 37, and Sideshow pulling away a little bit uh, with 40. But, of course, going into the third round, it is still anyone's game. The payload is approaching its destination. And this, of course, round three is the buy or sell round. Buy, uh, uh, it's, we're gonna we're doing super great on time, so we're gonna we're gonna run through this. Uh, it's gonna be great. Um, but we'll start with you uh, here first, Slasher. Uh, Monte Cristo tweeted out: It's becoming increasingly clear that GC Busan peaked hard for the Apex Season Four playoffs and struggles to maintain that level of consistency. So the question here is: Buy or sell? Has the GC Busan or uh, part of London Spitfire roster peaked back in Apex? Yeah, I'm going to buy this. I think profit is by far the most impressive player from that roster, and the rest of the team may very well be Kongu players, plus Profit, mm-hmm. and or maybe you have um, maybe you have Fury play uh, here and there, but you know, I pretty much got to agree with that. I think that Bishop leaving and being kind of kicked out by the players, them bringing him Tizzy, them trying out some new DPS players is indicative of Busan peaking and them having some problems with the roster right now. Would not surprise me to see them selling off more players, uh, most of them being from that Busan roster. Mm, for for sure. Bob, are you buying or selling that uh, Busan has peaked? I am I am buying. I mean I don't see why they don't at all at all times have Bedozen and Bird Ring in. I mean that there's no reason for that. I understand having twelve man rosters because internal scrims are great, but mm-hmm. when you have stars of that cat of that caliber you just want them in the whole time. I mm-hmm. mean, they don't they don't bench um, Jonak in NYXL. I mean, well, and part of that reason is because they don't have anyone to put in for him. But I get your point. But they wouldn't. That's true. Well, 
I would hope that they wouldn't, at least as an yeah, XL fan. I would hope that they wouldn't, but they don't have the ability to. Uh, but Pesto, are you buying or selling that Busan has peaked? Um, I, I'm soft buying it. Yeah, as a six-man unit, they probably peaked. But I also think it's a bit of an unfair statement because you're only talking about the players. They lost their coach. And mm. we don't really know how much of strategy, how much of their ability to come up from behind and surprise a bunch of people mm-hmm. was strategy that the coach had. So we're missing that piece. And obviously, that bridge has been crossed. We're mm-hmm. not going to do anything about it. I think that they're solid players. I think that they would be improvements on some teams, probably not on all the teams. Um, having a couple of them around for depth is going to be useful. But yeah, the the non-GC Busan players, um, well, most of the non-GC Busan players probably not, not going to get much playing time. Um that was that was a lot of of double negatives there, but I think I got what you meant. Uh, but sideshow, last word here: buying or selling the uh, GC Busan roster having peaked. I'm gonna go against everybody here. I'm, I'm not buying this for a moment. I think that uh, it's uh, first of all, it's a bit of an unfair comparison because they haven't been getting scrim time and they've been relegated to the B team, so mm-hmm. they don't have the ability to run internal scrims right now. You have to run gesture and profit in both of these teams, mm-hmm. so there's no way that their B team, the GC Busan team, are actually getting anywhere near the same scrim time as their A team, and they're prepping for like the the worst level teams. And this was a team that always relied on teamwork. This wasn't a team that was like just some crazy individual players that you can just throw them into a match and they're gonna slam people they relied on like setting up their teamwork and stuff yeah they lost one of their coaches coming into it they also signed two of them so mm-hmm. it's um difficult to tell what that one coach was doing hokuri i think it was who ended up going to seoul um and they had uh big diva changes going into it so wukial is definitely somebody who i would say has looked a lot worse compared to his apex uh, season four performances. Mm-hmm. Um, Pyun, I, I would also say that you'd normally run Badoshin over him, but they are running Gesture and Profit in all of these teams. Like th- these are the two standout players across the entirety of their roster. These are their two best players, along with probably Badoshin as well. I think Closer and Nuss are interchangeable. Um, and you can run Hureg whenever you want, like a Faramap. Like we saw mm-hmm. him come out on Eichenwald or sometimes on Lijiang occasionally. So I don't, th- I think if you're running GC Busan and you were like giving them full scrim time all the time, I, sure, like they, they'd still be a really good team. I think they'd be better than what they've shown so far at the moment. But uh, that doesn't mean that you couldn't make upgrades to that team. And that's what London have done. They've made upgrades sure. by adding in Bedoshin and by adding in Birdrick and Fury as well. For sure. I think uh, a lot of good points made. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that one ends up uh, turning out. But let's move on and talk about San Francisco Shock here. Obviously, official uh, word, uh, the architect, and I'm an idiot and didn't write down the second uh, person. Moth. In- Moth. Moth, yes, thank you. I knew I, I knew I had enough people on here that would be able to chime in instantly that I didn't need to do any work because I'm an idiot. Uh, architect and Moth signed here uh, for the San Francisco. So, Bob, the question here is, are you buying or selling architect? Architect and, and, and to an extent, Moth making a difference here and making a splash for San Francisco. Uh, I'm going to buy because Architect, awesome Genji. Um, that's what they haven't had. I mean, Baby Bay is awesome at the hit scan, but I mean, he's not he's not really a Genji. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't seen anything flashy there. So, yeah, I mean, if you need dive, he's going to be great. I'd I mean, it just all depends on the meta, and that's going to change every every single stage. So, mm-hmm. getting getting at least one expert everywhere is a good call, for sure. Peso, are you buying or selling these San Francisco additions? I'm buying it. I think that Architect brings a knife to a gunfight, and I think that despite conventional wisdom, Shock really needs to bring a knife to their gunfight. I think that being able to field a top Genji opens up a lot of possibilities that they didn't necessarily have before. And I think I, I, if there's one knock on this, I think that they're adding in too many variables at the same time. Mm. And they probably would have preferred to not have two new players coming in and two players aging in all at the same time because mm. it's going to make it sort of hard to integrate everyone at the same time, I think. But, I mean, it's a smart pickup, I think. Uh, especially Architect, and obviously because I'm friends with Harsha, I wish them all the best, except when they're playing Mayhem. <laughs> well, maybe they don't need as much uh, luck or uh, well wishes there. But Sideshow, are you, are you buying or selling these additions made by San Francisco? 
I'll certainly buy Architect, and I think that somebody else should have bought Architect, and possibly not San Francisco <laughs> Shock. But uh, I, I've got to admit that I haven't watched. I don't think I've actually watched any games of Moth because he was playing on teams that were just like below the level of uh, of what I was watching. It was like Toronto Esports was the last team he played on or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not going to speak to him at all. But Architect is a phenomenal player. Has been kind of hyped up for a while now, ever since he didn't get into the Overwatch League and has just turned 18, I believe, like a, about a week ago or something like that. Um, he's He is a, a guy that you can build a team around. When he came into X6, made a massive difference there. And it fits the uh, one of the problems that San Francisco Shock has been ha having. And when you consider that they're also going to be getting Super and Sinatra, this could just look like a brand new team, really, when they when they turn the corner, when they unlock their new players and they get Architect down. Mm -hmm. Was that going to be stage three or something? So, yeah, I think this is going to make a massive difference. As, as to what Moth can provide, not really sure. Yeah, I, I love how you're just like, oh, he just wasn't he just wasn't uh, at a high enough level for me to I couldn't waste my time on on players such as him. Listen, there's plebs everywhere. You can't them all. <laughs> for sure, but uh, slasher, last word here: Are you buying or selling Architect and Moth here for San Francisco? Uh, I'm buying because I don't think Shock has any idea what the hell they've been doing to start the season. They they got IDD Cutie and then never played him. They got Nevis and decided to put him on Diva, even though he may very well be the best projectile player on the team. I was never truly impressed with Dante or Baby Bay playing projectiles. So you have two players on DPS that are playing the same heroes. And it can, seems like since Sinatra wasn't able to play, they fuddled the entire DPS lineup for the first two stages. So just because they've had a terrible roster decision making in terms of putting together the team mm -hmm. they need these two players so badly beyond mm -hmm. the skills that architect and moth bring themselves mm -hmm. it's funny that the team that was lauded as having too many dps players uh messed up the dps line for their team uh coming into the season but we will uh move on and still talk about uh san francisco here and we, we've kind of alluded to it. It's almost like uh, uh, inferring based on what's happening with San Francisco, but uh, we're getting Sinatra. We've got Architect. We've got all sorts of an overload of DPS players coming into and, and already having been on San Francisco. So where does this leave Dante? So, uh, Peso, I, I want to know here, are you buying or selling Dante staying on uh, San Francisco Shock? I'm going to buy it. Um, I think that you don't get to be at his level without having a cosmic fuck ton of self-belief. And Dante has shown that he deserves an opportunity to fight for his spot. Mm -hmm. um, when these other players come in, he might very well lose his starting spot. But he has done enough on that team to warrant being in the conversations, not just a placeholder. Um, I think it's very possible if another team approaches and says, listen, we want to offer you... Uh, virtually guaranteed starting role um that he might jump ship but i don't really see um i don't see that happening i, I alluded to it earlier but i don't really see it happening mm -hmm. i think that his best bet is to fight for a starting role to say all right i've been here before i have the cohesion um we i might not get 100 percent of the play time but i'll still be a valuable role player mm -hmm. and if he loses a starting spot he can fight to gain it back and if all else fails, he can fight to make a good impression, maybe get picked up on another team. I think his best shot right now is to stay with the show. For uh, definitely a lot of good points there. Sideshow, are you buying or selling uh, Dante having a spot on San Francisco Shock now? Uh, I think I'm going to buy this one. I think Dante adds something still that they don't have from any other of the players, namely a guy that can play Tracer and Genji at the same time. Even when they bring an Architect, I've never mm -hmm. seen him play Tracer. I mean, it's, it's very possible that the guy does have like a, a really good Tracer. But mm -hmm. uh, for example, if you're playing Gibraltar at the moment, the meta is revolving pretty much around Widowmaker Genji. But then when you get to the third stage, some teams like to swap it up and play like uh, Widowmaker Tracer mm -hmm. instead. So in that kind of situation, it makes sense to run Dante Baby Bay maybe rather than uh, rather than Architect. I also think that if you if he's not going to stay in San Francisco, somebody else needs to want to buy him. Mm -hmm. And there are other free agents out there from Korea or uh, also some other guys in the West mm -hmm. that I would probably pick up over Dante depending on the price point. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not. I think he'll end up staying in San Francisco. I think they'll find a way to work him in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Slasher buying or selling Dante staying in the Bay. Pesto, I think it's cute that you feel like Dante has enough clout to demand a trade or to wherever <laughs> he wants. Like like the gladiators are just going to, oh, Dante, you want to leave? Oh, that's cool. Let's just get rid of you. If they get a really good offer, 
in terms of the amount of money they're going to pay Gladiators to buy out his contract, then they will sell him. Uh, I actually think he should stay for a totally different reason, and that is because he plays Sombra, and in this next meta, we're going to see a whole lot of Sombra, unless mm -hmm. Blizzard changes this, this character, which I don't think they will. So the entirety of Stage 3 is going to be Sombra and half the comps for all the maps, and he still is one of the best Sombra players in the league right now, and mm -hmm. I think it, he is also the Shock's best Sombra player. So specifically because of that one hero, mm -hmm. he will stay. But other than that, because Sinatra is coming back, and you have bringing in architect. I would, I would rather try to get rid of him if I was gladiators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting to see what Dante uh, uh, where he ends up, if anywhere. But Bob, last words here: buying or selling Dante, staying in San Francisco. Yeah, that was a really good point about Sombra and the meta changing, and so that I, I didn't even think about that, but. <laughs> I do think that he should he should stay. I think I think by he should for sure for sure stay. I talked to mm -hmm. Harsha last night and he spoke in code and mystery. But what <laughs> I took from it personally was that the Shock's going to look to play certain certain players on certain maps and try and de de diversify mm -hmm. the players throughout maps. So. If that's what they're going to do, I think it keeps their players fresh. And why not have two awesome tracers? Why not have, mm -hmm. you know, you know, uh, Sinatra starts next week. So I, I think that they're going to they're going to still use him. Yeah, it's uh, well, it, it will definitely have to just wait and see what happens with Dante moving forward. But we are going to move into the last question here uh, before the finalists are chosen and face off in the finals. Uh, and this one, we're going to turn the eye over to the Florida Mayhem. Uh, it they got they I don't know any other. You can't say that any other team in the Overwatch League doubled the number of wins they got last week, but the May, Florida Mayhem certainly did. Uh, so sideshow has Mayhem turned a corner here? Are they becoming a real team, or was this just a fluke this week? I think they definitely turned a corner, but I don't think that that necessarily makes them a great team. I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of corners before they get to it. It's a very <laughs> wiggly road before they get to becoming a great team. But you've got to say that before this, they didn't look like they were capable of beating pretty much anybody other than Shanghai. It mm -hmm. was like, it wasn't even like they were hanging out with uh, San Francisco Shock and Dallas mm -hmm. at the bottom of the table. They were literally only hanging out with Shanghai, mm -hmm. but they were still a tier above Shanghai when they actually played them head to head, like when they when they put their hundred percent into it. Mm -hmm. So now it looks like they're capable of taking uh, matches off teams that are that are struggling a little bit, like Houston, like Dallas. They had their opportunities to win both of those games, absolutely. Um, so I think they they have turned the corner. I think they figured out that when they play a bit more aggressive and when they have. Um, uh, logics now on this meta where he can mm -hmm. do a lot more with his uh, kind of backline tracer individualistic kind of play and we saw Fick just unlocked for for whatever reason the team has decided not to use him super defensively and mm -hmm. now he can actually play his game it, it's now looking like they're finding their footing a little bit in stage two mm -hmm. uh what do you think here slasher buying or selling uh florida mayhem actually uh, uh turning a corner and becoming a real team Look, I mean, in closed beta, Tavik was the best player in all of Overwatch, mm -hmm. and for a very long time, he was considered the best player in all of Overwatch. And as time went on, he really lost his spot. And going into OWL, that team did not look good, and it really was good to see a return to form here, to be able to clutch out Gibraltar, mm -hmm. and to be able to continue to send him to the next map to win that series. So I'm really happy for him to be able to play well mm -hmm. and get a win. But let's be real, guys. <laughs> they are 2-14 and 14 in the season. No, they have not turned a corner. They had to beat a Dallas team that completely blew the series because Kai Kai doesn't know what he's doing coaching, making weird decisions, and the Dallas Fuel pretty much broke down in that match. There's no way Florida should even have two wins so far. There is no way I can see them even getting another two wins to the end of stage two. No, they have not turned the corner. They're lucky they got one win against Dallas. It's not going to get any better from here. <laughs> uh, some bold claims. Some definitely some bold claims there. Uh, but Bob, what do you what do you think here? Uh, your your boys, man. They lost to they lost here to Florida. What do you, what are you thinking about Florida? Yeah. Well, I'm getting pumped up from Slasher here. They're getting me pumped up right now. But yeah, <laughs> like hard sell, hard, hard sell. There's, there's no way that you can take what happened. I mean, 
like like uh, Dallas didn't even play XQ uh, XQC. There was mm. obviously already turmoil in the team, and it, it 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 was a lucky week for for them. Tavik looked really good, like mm. way better than he has looked any any week prior. He was killing it with with Genji. Is that gonna is that gonna stick? I don't know. I'm pretty sure other teams that properly prepare for them are going to be able to really shut shut them down. So, no, I'm going to hard sell this one. Mm. Definitely. And, Pesto, I I saved you here for last because I know this team, this Florida Mayhem team, is near and dear to your heart. What do you you think? I'm going to buy. Can't not root for my hometown (laughs) team. You think they've beaten all the hope, hope out of me already, but they haven't managed it yet. Um, this team has shown pockets of promise. I think they cleared an important mental hurdle in picking up their second win. Um, I think they picked that certainly um, taking it very close to to, um, to outlaws also helped them. Uh, they've got Ryder and and uh, Zappis in LA. They've got mm-hmm. um, two more players on the way. I think maybe they can beat Shock in Week Five. I think if 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 Shock doesn't immediately gel, they're still a bit vulnerable. I think maybe they can take some maps off the two teams in LA this week, but I don't think they're going to win either one. Uh, I think I think a goal for them right now is to finish tenth. I think that they can do that if they hold off Shanghai Congratulations. and if they beat, if they beat people <laughs> um, in the rankings. But uh, it's start not, somewhere. It's certainly not the bar <laughs> that we were hoping for at the beginning of the season. But I think I think even if they're not going to win that many more games, I think that they're going to not have as many embarrassing losses. Yeah, and it, and they're not going to be quite as painful to root. Not not hide your <laughs> not hide your shirt territory. I've I've stuck my neck out so many times for them in in hopes that we're gonna we're gonna see less Tavik and more Pluppy back in the old days. Uh, but it just doesn't seem like that's uh, that's happened quite yet. But that is going to bring us to the end of the regular play here. Uh, quick recap of the scores: we've got Blaze and Bob here. Forever fourth place with 55 Everybody's points. Everybody's got their role, my friend. Everybody's <laughs> got their role. We've got Slasher in with 56 points. And we've also got our two finalists here to move into the final question. We've got Pesto Enthusiast with 59 points and Sideshow here with 61. Uh, so we're going to move into this final question. And this is, there's no points being given out. It's Pesto versus Sideshow. You're each going to... Make your make your decision and make your argument here, and I'm just going to pick the winner. Uh, this is the most fun slash also hardest part of the show for me, but it must happen. Um, so the final question here is, which team do you think will make the biggest improvement after the roster changes that we've seen so far? So a lot of teams have uh, shipped players, they've brought players in, they've traded, etc. Which team do you think of those is going to have the biggest improvement afterwards? A random coin flip has decided that Pesto, you are going to answer this one first. Um, you know, this is really difficult because if you look at all the ta- the teams at the bottom of the table, I think that it's easier to say you're going to have a huge improvement if you just start winning a few more games. I want to say that Mayhem is going to start winning a lot more games, but I'm actually going to go with San Francisco here. <laughs> Because not only are they adding in a couple of roles that they've been missing, but they're also going to be unlocking two more players. I think that having four more options and having um, it, it's going to unlock at just the right time. They're going to have these last two weeks where there's really no expectations, and then they're going to have the stage two to stage three gap. I think that in their definition of, of getting better is that they're going to win maybe go go four and six in, some, in, in the stages, maybe possibly five and five. Um, if if they figure things out, I think that in terms of who's absolutely going to take it the most advantage of, of their signings, um, you have to go with them just because they're so low right now mm-hmm. and they have a lot of tools that they desperately needed all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Sideshow, same question here. Which team do you think is going to uh, improve the most after their roster changes? There's only one correct answer here, Pesto Enthusiast, and I'm glad you chose the wrong one. It's the (laughs) Shanghai Dragons, mate. How could you possibly pick any other team than the trash can that's just been sitting at 12th place that is never going to beat anybody with their current roster? And you've now added four legitimate players. Like, you've taken a team that that was just nowhere, just absolutely 
absolutely nowhere. Shock have already won some games. Like, even if they improve to the top of the table, this isn't going to even be close to the improvement that the Shanghai Dragons are going to make. They're adding in Fearless, who's like a, a legitimately could be top tier main tank. If their coaching staff works really well, who knows what that's going to be like. And then they've got <laughs> Sky, who came from a legitimately great Chinese team that kind of got shafted. They've got Gaguri in there, who's been sitting at the top of the ladder for ages. And then they've got Ado, who's like a, a genuinely good uh, Genji Tracer player who's going to mm -hmm. complement them really well. I think these four additions are exactly what they need to be able to make a competent team out of the mess of Shanghai Dragons. I think they'll, even if they only go to improve to be a mid-table team, or even if they only go to improve to be like a, a ninth-place team, that's such a momentous improvement that it has to be the most improved after the mid-season signings. Hold on, hold on. Here's why you're wrong. Because if Shanghai pops off, that means that Mayhem might come last. <laughs> <laughs> well, well might. I didn't think that I was going to say this before the signings happened, but Shanghai Dragons is winning this one. Uh, I gotta, I gotta agree with you here. I, I do think that the Shock definitely have a lot of room to improve, and they have added a lot of players, and they definitely. But I, I mean, they're going from a team that is probably not even going to win a lot of games in contenders to potentially a team that is quite good. So sideshow, you got this one, bud. You, you, you're winning here. Uh, you get to uh, sell out slash promote, do whatever you want here. The, the floor is yours. And I don't even have anything to sell. Oh, that's it. <laughs> well, you better start making something up because the floor is okay. yours. The floor is mine. Uh, you can find all of my God tier analysis on, on Twitter. Uh, no, you actually can't. I don't even tweet that much. But, uh, <laughs> but definitely, I'm going to use this portion to sell you on the desk segments. You know the part of the game, guys, where you normally go and get like a coffee or whatever, and then you come back <laughs> when the next game starts? There's actually some good stuff that happens in that little break. So uh, instead, next time, you, got, you guys want to be tuning in for that portion as long as I'm on the desk, not when, uh, not when Johnny O'Crums or Brenner. But uh, And then you want to tune in then, and then just kind of ride through take your breaks like when some bad teams are playing you know don't, don't take the breaks when i'm on the desk definitely a noble sell there for sure uh, i do want to congratulate everyone here because i think this is the quickest show that we've had it's still slightly over an hour but it's we're getting we're getting there so huge thanks to all of you um guys that's going to be it for the show um huge thanks to pesto sideshow slasher Blaze and Bob, thank you to all of you. All the all of their links to all their socials and stuff are going to be down in the description below, um, so that you can find them. Make sure you go follow all of them, and make sure you do definitely watch all of those uh, desk segments, even the ones with Bren and Crubs and Sideshow. I'll, I'll give them the the shout out here. But that is going to be it here for around the payload, guys. Remember, I'm the Lovins for Pesto, Sideshow, Slasher, and Bob. Tune in next week and join us around the payload. Bye bye.